Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's happening, everybody? Good evening, good evening. We've got a big show tonight. Uh, we have been yearning for a doctor to come on here to step up, let us know, give us some more information about what's going on with COVID and ways we can deal with it. And thank God we got Dr. Richard Harris, who's an MD, doctor of pharmacy out of Houston, Texas. Uh, Dr. Harris, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on the show. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And truth telling and truth seeking is so important right now more than ever. Yeah, we got a lot of people that are, you know, are desperate right now. They're reaching out every day, all day. Uh, it's, it's really hard to keep up with the comments and the, and the messages. Uh, so Mike and I, we've been doing our best. You know, this is our calling right now. This is what we're doing. And uh, thank God for you. So here we go. Um, We're going to just delve right into this. Yeah, we'll go right in. It it was really awesome. I messaged you on like a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. You hit me back in like two minutes, which was amazing. And I appreciate that. So if you can give us a little background on your stance. Uh, Let's get into his background just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He talks about himself. Absolutely. (laughs) How about, yeah, let, let's get education. Nolan, you want to throw his education up on the screen? Yeah. So for those who don't know, I am a internal medicine physician, and I am a kind of weird internal medicine physician. Number one, because I only work part-time. Number two, because I work both allopathic and naturopathic. So I do conventional medicine, and I do holistic medicine. I do conventional medicine through hospitals and other groups. I do my own uh, naturopathic medicine through my own practice. And I'm also a pharmacist. I used to work at MD Anderson doing chemo pharmacy. And I'm crazy. I got an MBA. And now I do a lot of consulting for healthcare startups. And I even do investing, uh, private equity, that type of thing. And I travel all around the country talking and speaking to different groups about holistic medicine, lifestyle medicine, you know, nutrition, exercise, fasting, sleep, how we interact with our environment, that type. But then I still have to help take care of people where people are the sickest, because that's an oath I took. So wherever the sick people are, that's where I'm going to be. You are a rare individual. You have some of the best experience I've seen. And this is exactly what the people are asking for. Okay, so... One thing that struck me was you said that you believe America has failed with healthcare. Can you uh, touch on that? Because we don't have healthcare. We wait until you get sick. And disease doesn't just happen instantaneously. We typically think that, oh, if someone has a heart attack, they just had a heart attack. Well, it takes 15 years to develop a heart attack. It takes 20 to 30 years to develop dementia. So these things that are very prevalent in today's society don't just pop up out of nowhere. They're processes that take years to develop. And 
I'll even use, for instance, COVID-19 right now. When most people get sick, what do their doctors tell them? Oh, go home and rest. Drink fluids, take some, uh, you know, Advil, ibuprofen, take some Tylenol if you get a fever. That's not preventative medicine. That's okay. Well, hopefully, we hope that you don't get sick enough to go to the hospital, right? But it's the same thing. We have millions of people out there who are diabetic, don't even know they're diabetic. 10% of the population right now, well, I think it's 12% is diabetic. That's supposed to be up to 15% by 2030. And then another 30% is insulin resistant. That's the precursor to being diabetic. That means you already have problems with your fasting blood sugars. So if you look at most of the things that are killing Americans, 80 to 90% of cardiovascular disease is preventable. 90% of obesity is preventable. 90% of diabetes, type 2, preventable. 40% of cancers are preventable. 90% of lung disease, preventable. Even something like dementia, which people think is inevitable, the data shows that 40% is preventable. I think it's actually much higher than that when you look at everything we look at in holistic medicine. But I just listed like six of the number top seven causes of death here in the US. Most of that is preventable. So if these are preventable diseases, lifestyle diseases that are killing people, if we had true healthcare, we'd be focused on preventing these diseases from happening instead of waiting till you got sick, throwing some medication at you, telling you to eat less and move more and call it a day. We get messages all the time. You know, why don't we see live healthy on TV? Why aren't we seeing these messages being broadcast? You know, is that, is that the, the big pharma whole conspiracy, you know? It's true. So yeah. I'm not a conspiracy nut, but you have to trace the money. Big pharma does play a large role in the education of medical students and pharmacy students. I have two doctorates, right? And I'm not trying to be pompous or anything like that, but based upon my schooling, I'm one of the most educated people on the planet. I went through 17 years of school. That's a ton of school. Yeah, preach a lot that. Of, a lot of that was in pharmacy and medicine. You know how much education I got about nutrition? And I didn't go to some podunk middle of nowhere pharmacy school. I went to the University of Texas. It was the number two pharmacy school at the time. My medical school was in the top 30. It probably would have been higher, but they separated out my medical school with MD Anderson for some reason, even though they're under the same branch. So I went to top education places. We got almost no training on nutrition. We had no training on exercise and exercise physiology and the science behind exercise. No training on stress management and mindfulness. Barely any training on pharmacology. The pharmacology training that most MDs get is pitiful. And I can say that because I would take a hundred question test in five minutes and I just walk out of there in five minutes. Everyone hated me, but that's the difference between what I learned as a pharmacist and what I learned as an MD about medications. So we have a lot, bunch of people prescribing medications that barely know how they even work. And ultimately they're, they're depending on the reps that are coming in, trying to, to peddle the meds, right? Uh, there's pharmaceutical sales reps that are coming in every hospital every day. Right. And then there's a lot of dubious stuff that's going on in research. So when you see something, let's say the monoclonal antibodies, right? They, the combination, and I can't pronounce the names of these things, but they're using two uh, monoclonal antibodies right now. The data that they're reporting is a 70% reduction in hospitalizations and death. You're like 70%. Well, that sounds fantastic. 
but that's something we call relative risk. It's a ratio of the risk in one group versus the ratio of the risk in another group. It's not what people think. When people hear 70% reduction, you think, okay, well, if we treat 100 people, that means 70 of them will not go to the hospital, right? Or not die. That's what people are thinking. But that's not what it actually is. It's absolute risk reduction that does that. The absolute risk reduction of these things was 5%. So that was it. It, it decreased risk of death and hospitalization in the, in the um, treatment group. It was 7%. The placebo group was 2%. So you have an absolute risk reduction of 5%, meaning you need to treat 20 people to save one. Now, if I told you you had a one in 20 chance with something, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy and say, well, that's not good enough odds for me. Give me something that's going to work for me. But that's a lot of what's happening in medicine right now is you have these smoke and mirrors with this relative risk. And then you also have things being approved on surrogate measures and not actually on improvement in quality of life or longevity, the things people care about. If I told you a medication lowers your LDL, okay, that's great. Well, what does that do for me? Does that make me live longer? Does that prevent my chance of having a heart attack? Does that mean that I'm going to be healthier? I'm going to be more energetic, more vibrant, have a better quality of life? And it used to be that you had to show you know, mortality, death benefit, or morbidity impact on life benefit. But now medications are approved on surrogate markers. Oh, well, it lowers this number. And this number has been associated with something else. So now it's like that game telephone, where now you're at two degrees of separation, and the message it gets all garbled. And you're now you're not even sure if it's doing what you think it was doing, or what it was intended to do, or if it's even making a difference. So there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. In this regard, if you also look at the FDA, FDA, I don't know what they're doing, but it's a revolving door for big pharma executives. You go work for the FDA, then you go sit on a board at Big Pharma, then you go work for the FDA and, and vice versa. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of games being going on. And it's unfortunate because people are getting hurt. And then if you actually speak the truth, like Google and Facebook, they um, made their search algorithms downplay alternative medicine. Right. So because I talk about nutrition and exercise and fasting and getting good sleep and avoiding toxins and getting sunlight and your mindset, how you think about things. I know I'm just rambling, but there's, there's oh, a it's point great. There. No, this is great. If, if I could tell you that you could live 12% longer and have a 36% reduction in cardiovascular disease, would you take it? In a heartbeat. Absolutely. Literally, literally in yep. a heartbeat. <laughs> yep. You know how you do that? Be an optimist. Seriously, optimists live about 12% longer, have a 36% reduction in cardiovascular disease. That's mind-blowing as far as an effect. And that's what's getting down-regulated as not being medicine. But it is. And there are tons and tons of studies behind this. There's tons of data behind this. And the people who question things and the people who want to know why are we so sick in this country? Why do we spend more than OECD comparator countries on healthcare yet have the lowest outcomes? Why do we have double the rate of diabetes? Why do we have double the rate of obesity? Why is 50% of the adult population have hypertension? You know, when you start asking these questions, you start thinking that there must be something else. There must be something wrong. Why aren't we doing 
what we need to do to keep the population healthy. And that is what us holistic docs focus on. But unfortunately, we're getting drowned out by mass this and vaccine that and social distance this. That doesn't address the root cause of the problem. Sure. So, so you had touched on, the, you know, the, the skewing or the shell game with the numbers per se. Now, you know, obviously this morning, the biggest news was the, the FDA has, has now approved uh, the COVID, the Pfizer uh, vaccine. How does that happen? How does it happen when every other vaccine takes years for approval? It, can they truly expedite this process to their gold standard? And obviously I'm using air quotes. Um, what's your perspective on that? And how do you feel about it? Um, I am no fan of the FDA whatsoever right now. And because of the number show game, number one, number two, the burden of proof now is lower than it used to be. It used to be that you had to have two randomized controlled trials showing a mortality or morbidity benefit to get approved. Now it's like, all you need is a surrogate marker to get approved. And if you want to look at an example of this, look at a dual helm, the uh, Alzheimer's drug, right? The FDA advisory committee, a special committee of doctors told them, do not approve this drug. We do not think it works. The FDA said, no, we're going to approve it anyway. And so now it's approved. And we don't think the drug actually works. It lowers a surrogate. It lowers the amount of plaque that develops in the brain. But previous data has shown that doesn't necessarily correlate with symptoms. It doesn't necessarily correlate with cognitive ability. Right. So this drug was approved on a secondary marker when we don't really know if it's going to actually improve what people want. Is it going to slow my progression of the disease? Is it going to give me my memory back? That's what people want. Right. Sure. There no one's saying, oh, what's your plaque level? Oh, well, my plaque level is 80. Oh, well, I took this drug and now mine is 60. That's not what we want. We want to know, is grandma or grandpa going to remember me? Are they going to be able to do tasks that they used to do? Are they going to have their precious memories back? That's what we want, right? And so I think in this situation, what has happened is because this technology is not new, right? If you look at the first papers on mRNA vaccines, you'll find, or mRNA technology, you'll find them from the 1990s. And what actually happened with SARS-CoV-1 is that people had started looking and researching mRNA vaccines for that. And that was in you know, 20, I think 2013, 2014, 2015, something like that. So why they were able to go literally warp speed on this was because they were able to take what they learned doing that and then apply it to a very related virus, SARS-CoV-2. And that's why you saw the technology develop so quickly. I mean, usually it takes like 15 years to do stuff like this. It takes 15 years to get a drug approval from the first moment somebody develops it to refine it, do studies, all of that. And in this case, it was able to do so because it was kind of a related short step. So, now, so they, they were skipping steps is what you were saying, or they were just kind of not doing the, 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 full, the full studies that they were supposed to? They've done studies, but it's not the studies, the longevity of the studies that you usually see, right? Because our, our studies here were, were shorter studies, and their studies are still ongoing. 
like there's still a trial ongoing with these mRNA vaccines that's supposed to complete in 2023, you know, a safety and, and efficacy study, because it's, it's like we're using this for a moving target, right? The target keeps moving, the virus keeps mutating, keeps adapting, and we're just trying to hold on and see what's going to shake out. But in general, yes, this has been completely different than the processes you'd see for anything else. And I get it. It's a pandemic. People are dying. This is a serious disease. And it's kind of sad because you'll talk to some of my ER colleagues, my ICU colleagues, and literally even today, people will still contract COVID and think it's not real. People will be on ventilators thinking it's not real. People will be in the ICU sick on medication to raise their blood pressure thinking it's not real. Or they'll go to the hospital and then they want the vaccine, which, you know, by that time, it's already too late. We can't vaccinate you when you're already sick. But that's something I've been hearing a lot about is people requesting it at that point. Sure. And, and you know, we're, we talked about this off air, um, but this podcast isn't about, you know, whether you're for the vaccine or you're against the vaccine. Um, it, what we want to put out is information. If you want the vaccine, please go get the vaccine. If you have reservations about the vaccine, there's more than enough data out there to to afford you to, to have pause before getting this vaccine. And I think it's important to get that out. And, and doctor, I, I, I believe you're, you're of the same mindset as us is, you know, if, if you really do want this vaccine, get it. It, it might not be a horrible thing. However, there are some things that, that, that haven't, uh, you know, they, they haven't clarified yet for us. Yeah, the main thing I'm worried about is people who have autoimmune disease or people who are prone to autoimmune disease. And if that would shift them into it, and unfortunately, autoimmune is increasing one in five people now have an autoimmune disease up from one in six a few years ago. And that's due to a whole bunch of factors, lifestyle, toxins, stress, poor sleep, you know, all those things can impact our immune system. That's the main thing I'm worried about. Now, what I'm not worried about is I don't think long-term effects are going to be that bad. And the reason for that is because, like I said, this technology is not new. You know, there's papers going back 30 years on this. Also, if you look at the data and people are talking about, oh, there's 120,000 or whatever it is, there's adverse reports. I was going to ask you but about you, that. You know, if, if, I, if I report that my arm hurt, that's an adverse effect, Right. If I report that I got a little flu-like symptoms, which it's a vaccine, of course, and this goes back to some basic education, viruses and bacteria don't make you feel sick. Your immune system makes you feel sick when it activates. So if you get a little flu-like, a little feverish, a little night sweats, cold, chills, all of that after you get a vaccine, that's what's supposed to happen. Your immune system is reacting to that, making antibodies, making memory cells, and then going about his business. So if you get in contact with that virus or, or pathogen again, that the immune system will activate very rapidly. So and, uh, we, we've got a kind, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but this is mm -hmm. very relevant. Uh, one of our, uh, Dawn has just uh, commented on, on our feed that uh, she's still dealing with long hauler issues since having COVID in uh, November. So she's concerned about getting the vaccine now. Uh, any 
you know, once again, this is an official medical uh, advice to her, but, but what's your stance on that? Those that have had COVID that are still suffering from residual effects, would that vaccine uh, assist her? Yeah, there's actually been case reports of people who have gotten better after vaccination, and we have no clue why. And there's still a lot that we're trying to figure out. Some people are reporting people who have long haul COVID are still testing positive on antibody tests. Um, I'm in a doctor's forum and there's one person who's had multiple long haul people test positive for acute antibodies to COVID months afterwards. So there's still a lot that we don't know about long haul COVID. And it's going to be a while before we figure it out because that's not the hottest area of study right now. People are still trying to figure out dealing with the acute stuff. But I have seen, and you can look this up yourself, there are case reports of people who have gotten it and their symptoms improved after vaccination. I'm dying to ask this. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too far, but what's your thought on you know, a, a man-made virus like this? Is it possible? Yes. Is it plausible? Yes, honestly. I mean, it's one of those things that we may never actually get to it because, you know, China's a black hole, right? What, what happens there? It's very hard to figure out. They, a lot of places will do gain of function mutations on viruses, meaning they will try to make them more virulent in order to study better treatments and, and try to stay ahead of the curve. Right. It's like, you know, there's Don't this you whole find thing. that absolutely hmm. insane though? Yes and no. Because if we look at it, humans in this time period have gotten used to certain things. And one of them is not having mass wipeouts from infectious diseases. But if you look at most of human history, what killed the most people? Infectious diseases. Malaria is the number one global killer of all time. And so in industrialized modern society, we have gotten to the point where we're, we weren't before this afraid of infectious diseases. You know, we had antibiotics, we had vaccines, but there's still a severe threat of global pathogens, especially now that it's so easy to travel around the world. You know, 30 years ago, this may not have never gotten out of China, right? It sure. might, it stayed there. But nowadays, if something happens over there, it ripples across the world almost instantaneously. And so there, there are some scientists who are doing these things to try to better understand it. There's still a lot we don't know about viruses. We know a lot more about bacteria. They're easier to grow. They're a little bit more predictable as far as how, to, how they react to the immune system and in our bodies. Viruses are very tough to isolate, very tough to grow in laboratory settings, and they also cause a lot of things that we still don't have a good idea about because there's still a lot we don't know about the human body, especially when, when it comes to the immune system and autoimmune disease. There's still a lot that we don't know. And these viruses can cause enough of a dysregulation that they can make you more susceptible to autoimmune disease in the long run. Can I ask you, without going too deep, uh, your opinion on, on Fauci and, and what's going on there. I think he's done a horrible job. Horrible. Because how can you be the country's most preeminent infectious disease doctor and not talk about everything you need to do to regulate your immune system? Again, it was vaccine this, social distance that. 
right from the get-go, come, yeah. from the get-go how come you're not telling people to exercise how come you're not telling people to get sunlight how come you're not telling people to put down the cheetos and soda and eat fruits and vegetables how come you're not telling people to do mindfulness and meditate and lower their stress levels people to get enough sleep all of those things are profoundly effective for regulating our immune system. I, in fact, I did a podcast on this called Immune System Balance because you want your immune system to be balanced. You don't want it to be boosted all the time. That's autoimmune disease. You don't want it to be underactive because then you're sick all the time. You want your immune system to come up when it needs to and then shut off when it needs to. And if there's dysregulation there, it might throw that out of whack. And there's a lot of things that you can do. And there's data behind this. There's multiple studies on exercise and COVID, reducing the risk of you catching COVID, making it, if you do catch COVID, that outcomes aren't as bad, reducing your risk of hospitalization and death. You ever see that on the news? You ever see that come out of Fauci's mouth? Did you ever hear him talk about vitamin D, even though multiple studies have shown that if you have low vitamin D, outcomes are worse? I mean, there are multiple studies all around the world that show that. And he didn't mention vitamin D until someone asked him, what are you taking? And then he was like, oh, I'm taking vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc. Well, if it's good enough for you, then why aren't you out there telling everybody about this? And that's been my problem is that you can't cherry pick science. If you are going to say what is best for the immune system, say everything that we know is best for the immune system. And it's like you talk, if you want to get vaccinated, I'm all for that. Get vaccinated. You know, if I hadn't gotten COVID, I would be vaccinated right now. I'm not vaccinated because I'm not sure for my age group and my demographics that vaccination would do me any benefit. The moment a study comes out that shows it would, I'll get vaccinated. If my part-time employer mandates I get vaccinated, I'll get vaccinated. But you- yeah, So you, that, that's an interesting point though that, that you allude mm -hmm. to and, and a, a lot of cause for trepidation specifically with, with our, our viewers is that you, you said it earlier in the podcast is that we're still the test subjects. At this point, so we don't know what the, you know, the the end game of of the release of this vaccine is going to be, and I, I think that causes a lot of us to to take pause with that. And once again, especially when our employers, just like you said, uh, if your employer says it's mandated, you're going you're going to get the vaccine. However, we've got other healthcare workers um, that that don't want to be forced to take something that they're not quite sure of yet. Um, I, I don't know where we go with this. Yeah, I'm all about personal choice, right? You should have the right to decide what you put in or on your body in this situation, right? Now, unless something is proven to be completely harmful, in which case intervention should be done to make sure that we're not exposing ourselves to harmful things, you know, like glyphosate, which should have been banned a long time ago, caused a lot of damage, you know, roundup, right? Right. But in this situation, I don't think people should be forced. And I think it's perfectly logical and reasonable to say, I am not sure. I am not sure because I'm worried about long-term effects. I think that's reasonable. And no doctor on the planet or scientist can say with 100% certainty that there will not be long-term effects from vaccination with this vaccine. You can't say that because we don't know. So I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Uh, previous vaccines, if there was X amount of deaths, they yanked it right away. Do you have that number? No, I don't. It was a very small number. And obviously we surpassed that. Uh, apparently I, I was just wondering what your views on that. 
Yeah, it's it's hard because I think the latest data was that there's 360 something million doses of the vaccine that have been given. And among those people who got vaccines, there was Over like the 6,800 deaths. No, in the U.S. This is in the U.S. There's like been in the U.S. There's 357 million doses of COVID vaccinations being that have been given so far. And included, is that including the double dose? Yeah, so it's, that's it's a in, huge number. It's just in, it's just all doses of the vaccines, yeah. right? Yeah. 357 million. And there are, I think, 7,000 reported deaths among people who received the vaccine, which is like 0.002%, right? And most of those deaths, I would be willing to bet, I haven't looked at the VAERS data myself to confirm this, I'll be willing to bet are not related directly to the vaccine. A comorbidity per se. Yeah, it's like when people were uh, talking about the death certificates early on. I'm glad this conversation died down because I filled out death certificates. No one fills out death certificates accurately. And if you look, people were saying, oh, well, this person, it says they had COVID-19, but they died from pneumonia. Well, yes, COVID-19 causes pneumonia and that pneumonia killed them more that it says they died from a heart attack. Yeah, that heart attack was caused because they had COVID-19, right? So there's nuance to reading and digging into the data, just like with the VAERS, if you look at it, the serious reactions are very low. It's just that anytime someone reports any type of reaction afterwards that could be uh, consistent with vaccination, like arm pain or fever or chills or nausea, that ends up in the database and that ends up as one count. But serious events are extremely rare. So in your, a lot of your posts, you say the I word. I'm going to say the word here because I don't care. We're, we've been doing good. Ivermectin, we're going to get there. I'm curious. So I, I told you before this podcast about my autoimmune. Mm-hmm. I have taken hydroxychloroquine over the past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took it for a full year. But I've also come across studies on fomatidine. Is that pronounced mm-hmm. that right? Pepsid? Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with the study? Several studies? I can't cite one, right? Uh, Nolan, I think you could pull that up. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that was used early on um, in when we were still trying to just figure out anything that would work. The fomotidine is used as an inpatient protocol as part of people who are sick. Uh, I think the IMATH protocol still uses it. Um, it's not used in the outpatient protocol, the IMASK protocol. Do you want to explain the protocols for the people that are watching and listening? Yeah, so the FLCCC, the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, and has Nolan, you can pull that up. I'm sorry, done a really great job of aggregating research because research is coming out all over the world on this, right? And most of the practitioners are unfortunately super busy that. They don't have time to read research. And so the FLCCC has aggregated research and come up with best practices that a group of physicians and providers have summarized the data, read the data and mm-hmm. said, okay, we think this is the best practices from what we've seen in the data. And this is actually what I was following when I could. I, I couldn't get ivermectin a lot of times as an inpatient doc. And the places that I work in part-time have told me that I do not 
need to be prescribing ivermectin because there's no evidence that it works. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no evidence. There's, there's like 27,000 patients that have been had ivermectin in trials all around the world. I'm, I'm looking at a study right here. Um, shows 73 one this particular study showed 73 percent reduction of infection among healthcare workers uh and this was says ivermectin prophylaxis was taken by 76 controls in 41 cases two dose ivermectin prophylaxis and it gives the chemical makeup it looks like was associated with a 73 percent reduction of sars uh cove 2 infection among healthcare workers for the following month yeah, I, right? it, it, it absolutely bananas to me yeah. that people are saying that there's not enough data behind this when there's less data on um, the monoclonal antibodies, on remdesivir, the um, Ebola medication that they repurposed for, for SARS. And I, I don't understand what the, the threshold is for enough data for people. Right, because it's not something that the mainstream is pushing. It's not something that big pharma is pushing. That's not enough data for you. You know, I, I don't, I just don't get it. I was talking to a colleague of mine earlier today, and she just said, I, I literally cannot believe how people are just ignoring stuff that's right in front of their faces. So, can you prescribe this? Do you prescribe um, this? I do. I do. But here's the problem there's, there's two problems. Number one, organizations, are not allowing physicians to prescribe it. That was my next question. Is, that's a whole that's a whole different quagmire for a whole different day, right? Where you have admins telling physicians what they can and can't do that's in the best interest of their patient. Right? That's that's to me is bananas. I, people don't realize how bananas this is and and what a crisis we are in in medicine. You're going to see a mass exodus of people from medicine after this. Mass I have exodus. a feeling. I'm actually seeing it right now. I mean, we're getting messages, like I was telling you, thousands and thousands of messages of saying, well, my last mm -hmm. day is, is this day. My last day is that day. And yep. it's, uh, you know, I, I and, and people are talking about like walkouts and we're, mm -hmm. we're begging, please don't walk out because people can die. We, we don't want this, you know, right. let's hang in there. We're going to figure this out. Right. Um, and, and the reason why I was asking you about Pepsid and going back to my autoimmune disease, uh, like I said, well, for one, I am so fortunate and blessed that I haven't had COVID. Uh, my wife being a nurse, having many, many COVID patients coming home. Um, my kids haven't had it that we know of. And so I just think back, hey, I was on hydroxychloroquine for a year. Um, I take Pepsid. I've taken Pepsid every single day, twice a day for two, two and a half, almost three years. So I'm just wondering if if that's working, I wish I could be a part of a study. Um, but yeah, that's where I was going with that. And, and this ivermectin issue, you know, you got keyboard warriors out there that think they know everything. Um, you know, we've heard stories of people going to like tractor supply, like we were talking about in our last podcast. No, people don't do that. You know, that is, that is crazy. You don't self dose, but you know, this is a real drug that has potential purpose. And here's a man right here telling us, the you know the benefits of it and and so you know. although it may be hard pressed to get it yeah yeah it is and i've even had a pharmacist refill uh, refuse to fill it for covid i was like that i have never seen before i've had pharmacists who will for religious exemptions and things like that not prescribe birth control i understand that 
But in pharmacy school, what they taught us is if you can't feel something for any reason, you need to refer that person to someone who will. Right? Because that is still a person who came to you for help. Right? You, to me, that pharmacist has a duty to refer them to someone else. I think they have a right to refuse to fill the prescription. Well, right? if it was like an opiate abuse or something like that, you know, that's almost one thing. Yeah, it, it's kind of a gray area. I, you know, in general, I think pharmacists have the right to refuse prescriptions for valid reasons, yeah. right? But I think if, it's, if they do, and it's a valid prescription, like the birth control, or in this case, ivermectin, sure. they have a duty to refer them to a pharmacist who will fill it. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's, I, I really don't know what people want for quote unquote data these days. And a lot of it's, well, oh, these studies weren't done in the US. Okay, well, that's just hubris to think that we have the best and brightest and only scientists in the world that can do clinical research. Like I've trained with a lot of foreign docs. I've trained with a lot of foreign docs who did research. They put all of us to shame when they came over here. Who do you think? Which country do you think has the best healthcare? Oh, that's really hard to say because I'm, I'm not top top you know few. Yeah. Um. I know that in a lot of other countries, there's the healthcare systems are different because of course they they're socialized, right? And everything is, is covered, but it takes forever to get anything done. But I think that a lot of these other countries, what really separates them is that they have a lot stronger consumer protection laws. So if you go look at a McDonald's hamburger in Sweden versus McDonald's hamburger here, you're going to see that the one in Sweden has like five ingredients and ours has like 30. Unbelievable. And a lot of that is chemicals, right? There's even data that the, the wrapping of, of fast food products are obesogens. Obesogens are literally that, things that make you fat. That is crazy. Right. So a lot of these other countries ban things that are, are there's data behind them that are causing adverse effects. I actually talked to the, the Surgeon General that uh, was the SG when Trump was in office and, you know, take politics aside here. I asked them, I was like, listen, these other countries, they have a lot stronger consumer protection laws. They will ban things and mandate that companies don't put toxic products in their food and drink and water. Why don't we have that here? And he literally told me that here in America, we prioritize the right of someone to make a profit over the health of an individual. And you can see it. That, I mean, you a, can just. That's very interesting. Do you think there's a nexus between what you just said with the, the push for this vaccine? Partially, yes. I mean, I think that, um, you know, Big Pharma has the strongest lobbies in DC, right? They've got right. deep, deep pockets. Six and billion course, dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're making, they're making money and their stock prices are going up, you know? They're, they're exerting influence, trying to get booster shots for everybody when we don't know. I haven't seen a single study yet looking at a durable immunity, long-term immunity. So when you get exposed to something, what happens with the immune system is it creates something called memory cells. 
And so people are freaking out because antibodies level drops. I'm like, that's supposed to happen. Antibodies are costly. They're expensive to make from a cellular perspective. Your levels are what they're going to do is they're going to drop and then they're going to stabilize. And what happens is certain types of cells will just secrete a low level of antibodies just kind of as the first defense. If you encounter that pathogen, they're there as a first defense. But you have these things called memory cells. And these memory cells are just that. They remember whatever the body was exposed to. And if it's re-exposure, then they ramp up very quickly. That's the whole purpose of immunization, whether it's natural immunization or vaccine-induced immunization. And I haven't seen any studies yet on looking at the ability of these vaccines to generate memory cells. I'm not saying that they're not out there. I just haven't seen them come across my usual filters and my usual groups. But I have seen these studies done on natural immunity and showing pretty robust effect of natural immunity on generating these memory cells. So that's a really good sign for people who have had infection. So other than folks with autoimmune, are there any other groups of people who could be okay without this vaccine? Well, autoimmune people, it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because your immune system's compromised, yep. right? So you are at high risk for getting complications if you get sick. So it, it's more of people who have a propensity to develop autoimmune disease or a strong family history of autoimmune disease. That's the main thing that I was concerned about when I started looking at the data early because everyone in my family, my immediate family has an autoimmune disease. I'm the only one who doesn't. So I was concerned that they, it would try to tip that scale, even though my lifestyle is, is bulletproof. Task now, you are? I'm 38. You're 38. I'm, I'm 36, going to be 37. And mm -hmm. I was at the uh, best shape of my entire life. I mean, I was working out five days a week. I don't know what happened. I really don't. It, they think I either had a really horrible case of mono mm -hmm. that mutated my immune system. Or I had recently had the 2019 flu vaccine. And I mm -hmm. have no idea as to what happened. But mm -hmm. she would say, it's not, you know, pray for you, man. I really do. But I, I just never thought it would, it would, I, I'd have to deal with anything like that at, yeah. at my age. You know, I, was, I think I was 33 at that point. And, and a lot of autoimmunity is like that. We think a lot of them are, you just have the susceptible genetics and you get the wrong viral infection, you know, and, and it just, again, like I talked about earlier, viruses are weird. There's a lot that we don't know about them, but there is a lot of evidence of, you know, Epstein-Barr virus and herpes virus and things like that causing other diseases and other damage in the body beyond what the initial infection was. No doubt stress probably played a role in that too, but you know, we'll yeah. never know. We'll never know. No cure. Yeah, stress is terrible for your immune system. I mean, the, the, the thing about cortisol is like our natural form of prednisone, right? When we give people prednisone, what does it do? It, it to decrease the immune system. Saved my life. So, that, yeah. that drug saved my life. You know, it's, it's like, I, I, I wish, or I hope that no one ever, nobody has to take that drug because it's like a, it's the, it's a devil in disguise. Mm -hmm. for, for everything great that it does. Oh man, there's so many other things you have to deal with. But and that's, that's, that's basically like a supercharge. Well, the high doses, it's like supercharging your body's own natural stress hormones. Yeah. Right. 
And so one of the functions of cortisol is to dampen the immune system. So what happens when you initially get sick is your cortisol levels go down, right? Because you want your immune system to ramp up and expand and go and attack the virus or bacteria or whatever is trying to get a hold of you. But then later in the infection, your cortisol levels actually go up because your immune system can go too far and damage local tissues. That's literally what autoimmune disease is. Your immune system goes too far and damages local tissues. And so there needs to be a balance with those cortisol levels. So if you're chronically stressed, then your cortisol levels aren't balanced and that's going to affect the ability of your immune system to do what it needs to do. Man, I might have to fly down to Houston and, and you might have to do a workup on me. I go Northwestern, but man, you know, I, I, I need to see light at the end of the tunnel. I need help. I don't think I've ever had cortisol levels in check my entire life. You know, the more research that I, you know, I read and, and just putting everything together. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to uh, kind of just throw this back out there while you guys were talking. I did a little bit of research uh, and anybody can find it. And we're, we're talking about where's the incentive at. And a lot of our clients are putting out, or not my clients, our, our supporters are putting out, you know, where's the incentive? On November 1st of 2019, Moderna's stock price was at $15.66 a share. That's November 1st, 2019. Today, it's at $411.50 a share for a vaccine that's being given to the public for free. Yeah, mm -hmm. how does that happen? Yep. Well, it's not, it's not free, right? The government's paying Nothing's for it. Nothing's free, who's, correct. Who's paying for it? Taxpayers, right? I keep so, telling people, I'm like, man, this is government yeah. funded. No, who's right. really free? No, it's, yeah, someone's paying for it. So, yeah. so let's let's get into, into a little bit into the conspiracy theory because I, I'm hoping you can debunk some of this. Um, yeah, we, well, we do get a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we're freedom of choice. That's That's what it is, like we've said over and over and over. And because we have done so much coverage from one side, I, you know, we were almost getting pigeonholed into that view. And this is a great, a, you know, a, a great. Sure. So, so ultimately, doctor, when we're talking about the, the, the government itself, and you know, obviously the, the vaccines are funded by the government, there's an incentive for the, the these pharma, pharmaceutical brands to, to, to push this product and for, for the FDA, which is controlled by the government, right, to, to push this through and say that this is the gold standard. At what point do you have to question history and say, look, we've been duped in the past, and, and how, how, how do we know, you know, what's the definition of insanity? We're doing the same thing over and over again, and we're expecting a different result. How, how do we get past that? How, how would we get even our, our, the supporters that are on the fence right now about getting, how, how would, how would you pitch them? Yeah, I think that if you've ever worked for a pharmaceutical company, you should not be allowed to be anywhere near the FDA or any kind of decision-making capacity for healthcare here in this country, because that's a massive conflict of interest. Massive. I mean, anybody can see that, right? If I'm on the board of Pfizer and then I go to the FDA, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to help out my buddies back at Pfizer. Or, you know, there should be, I know a lot of these lobbyists and things like that, I think it's like a one year or two year ban from them going to work on the industries that they lobbied. Or if they go to the government, then there's like a one or two year ban on them right. going to work for those uh, industries. But then they all go back and do it anyway, right? So th these type of loopholes need to be closed. You can't have people who are having the interest of big pharma at heart 
trying to have the interest of the population at heart because sometimes it's aligned, but a lot of times it's not. I mean, if, even if you look at the guidelines for the treatment of every single chronic issue, what's the first thing they say? Lifestyle medicine. Right. But these people in Washington, they're not, they're not advocating for a lifestyle. They're not making sure or really checking into, do we have clean air to drink? Do we have clean water to drink? Are the uh, products that people put on their skin toxic? Look at sunscreen. Right. There was a study that came out, was it 2019, something like that, that said that the ingredients in sunscreen get more into the bloodstream than we thought and that they really hadn't been studied that well. And I was like, oh, you're going to see a massive recall in sunscreen within one to two years. Look what happened. Oh, there's cancer causing ingredients in these sunscreens. Right. It's just things like that, that that is public health. That is what is essential to health. I've always told people no medication can overcome your lifestyle. You know, it, it just can't. And no medication can overcome your environment. And so these are the things that we need people to be looking at that they're not looking at. And so it's left to the person, the individual, to somehow hopefully find out this information and then be able in the situation to apply it in their life. Real quick, just because you're on the holistic side, and and uh, we've had a couple of podcasts with two different uh, chiropractors who are very passionate. Mm-hmm. Just real quick, what is your view on infants, children? You know, they're up to like 70 vaccines. You know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, far- I'm not, I'm not a uh, a kid doc, right? Yeah. So I don't spend that much time reading pediatric literature, but if it was me, I would, and it was my kid, I would still do the vaccinations. I would just do the delayed schedule. Now, here's the thing. As an adult doc, I know that your habits before you have kids affects your childhood's life, your kid's life. Fact. By far. It's called epigenetics. Anyone who wants to look into this, look into it. We're blaming vaccines for a lot of the problems that kids are having when it's really you ate garbage, you didn't exercise, and you were stressed before and during your pregnancy, right? And this is both mom and dad. Dad, there's data that exercising, if you even start exercising months before you conceive, those kids have a much lower risk of developing congenital heart disease, right? So there's data on meditation and mindfulness during pregnancy, decreasing infant, uh, bad infant outcomes. So there's data on this in breastfeeding too. Because your stress hormones will go through the breast milk to your child. So, so I'll go ahead. Yeah. I'm, so, you know, I, I think a lot of blame is getting put on vaccines and not enough blame is on the fact that you haven't fed your kid a vegetable in five years. <laughs> right. right. Real talk. Right. So you're, you're like incredibly fit. You know, how was your childhood? When was that turning point? Was it before med school? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I played sports, but I ate like trash. Pop, you know? right? Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. I think about yeah, all I'm, like the, the, how much pop I drank as a kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like my kids are not allowed to touch it. Like you're not going yeah. near it. It's poison. Yeah. They it wait poison. Me. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, I will never forget this day. I'm so thankful for this professor. I don't remember their name, but I was in chemistry lab in college, 18 years old. And the professor said, okay. Everybody grab a can of Coke from over there. Okay, so we all start drinking our Cokes, right? Because, you know, 18, someone hands you a free Coke, you're going to drink it. And 
He said, okay, now we're going to weigh out how much sugar is in that Coke. So he's like, I want you to look at the back of that can. And it was like 50 grams of sugar. I'm like, yeah. okay, so what? And so then I, we, ha- we all have scales in front of us. And then we start adding the sugar on top. Yeah. And it felt like I just kept going. And I was like, oh my God, like this is how much sugar is in this? Yeah, you know what's like, insane? It wasn't until I worked in the steel industry and I was doing, you know, chemistry. You know, I was making steel in a laboratory and man, I started adding different alloys, but in grams. And I'm like, it, it took me until I was uh, a young adult to realize, holy crap, that is a lot of sugar. <laughs> you yep. know, unbelievable. Yep. And uh, we're getting a lot of uh, messages coming through and I'm trying to type and respond to individuals here, but I want, I want to stress something to to those that are still watching. We're not here to pick a side. And we've said that from, from the jump, you want the vaccine, get the vaccine. We're here to give you guys information and that's not going to change. Whether it's information you want to hear or not, I can't, uh, there, there's no way for me to, to know that we're all individuals. We all have individual rights. We're standing up for your rights to choose. Everybody on this podcast right now is saying that we do not believe that you should be forced to get a vaccination. You don't want to get uh, the doctor said it, Randy and I say it over and over what, and what's over the again. feedback. I, I can't see it. Yeah. We're just, we're just getting kind of a, a, a lot of hate comments and, and I'm not sure where it's coming from. Okay. Um, Guys uh, we support you. Uh, 110%. We are freedom of choice. And, and uh, I'm with you. I, I mean, this is this is why we started doing this, but you, we can't be ignorant. You know, you guys ask for a doctor. You have one of the finest in our country right now on the screen. He's giving you everything you've asked for. And so, you know, let's be kind. Let's not judge. Uh, this is what you've asked for. We're getting answers. We, you guys want answers. We're getting answers. And we appreciate your support. We appreciate, appreciate you chiming in and, and messaging us. You know, our mission doesn't stop here. This is what we've asked for. And Dr. Harris, man, I, I've loved this conversation. I got goosebumps right now just saying that. Uh, you know, it's, it's been enlightening. And I'm honored that you've even taken time to, to talk with us. And yeah, you got to be open to new perspectives because I understand the perspectives of my friends who work in the hospital. I was in the hospital. I was there for a year and a half, ground zero, right? I understand why they're yelling at everybody to get the vaccine, right? But that's not the way to approach it. You can't just mandate, go get the vaccine. Or if you don't, you're a bad person. That's not going to motivate anybody to get it, right? You know, one of the things that the medical school fails at is it doesn't teach us human psychology. Like we're in the business of human psychology as a doctor, right? And sure. you get you get no understanding of that. I, I wouldn't learned it on my own. If you want to convince people, you have to understand where they're coming from. Right. And you know what? Kate said this. She's one of our, our viewers here. She said, oh, uh, open to talking is our open to talking is our only way to truth. Uh, you mm-hmm. your own truth. And, and, and that's the truth, right? I mean, that's ultimately it. We're, we're having discussions because discussions on both sides don't happen anymore, guys. No, uh, everyone that's watching, you know, if you're on the far left, you're on the far, now you're enemies. And it doesn't have to be that way. As, as Americans, as freedom loving Americans, we can have these conversations. We can talk about this. You don't have to agree with what Doc's saying on, uh, over, over there. You don't have to agree with what Randy and I are saying, but 
we're, we're having the conversation. And that's got to be a reason why you're not watching TV right now and you're, and you're tuning into our podcast. You're sick of the bullshit. And I'll just, you know, use the language. I mean, no offense, doctor. Uh, but I mean, this is it. This is what, what you guys want to hear. I mean, whether you want to hear it or not, I mean, this is what you've asked for. Right. And, 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 and doc, you know, I'm going to clean it up just because I'm seeing the comments and, and, and you're not, it is, it's ultimately, you know, you, and uh, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you're standing uh, with, you know, our, the large number of viewers that we have saying, look, it should be your choice. Yeah. We do, you do not believe you unequivocally do not believe that someone should force uh, this vaccine upon anybody. However, if you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. Yes, I, I'm a human first and a doctor second. Even In fact, the doctor is not who I am. It's just a skill set that I have, right? And I believe in an individual's right to make informed decisions, to do what they think is ultimately best for them and their loved ones. Now, at the same time, again, I'm allopathic and naturopathic. I don't care what, you know, get the vaccine, great. Don't get the vaccine, great. I'm still advocating for lifestyle medicine, nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep, removing toxins from your environment, getting some grounding, getting some sunlight. You know, all of these things that are very important for our health and physiology. I'm not going to cherry pick the science and say, this is the only thing you need to do for your immune system is, is get the vaccine. No, there's a lot of science out there for other things that you need to help balance your immune system. So that's where I stand. I'm always going to stand on the side of choice and I'm always going to stand on, there is a middle ground between allopathic and naturopathic medicine. And that is the line that I've decided to walk. I'm putting up your Instagram because uh, you, so people can see, get, get your handle up there and, and uh, a lot of information, uh, you know, you, you should, you, you uh, walk the talk, you know, you got videos of you exercising. You're out there. Hey, man, it's a beautiful morning. Um, so viewers, check him out. Give him a follow. Let, let's talk about your podcast real quick. Uh, you, I mean, you've been at it a long time. Yeah, the Strive for Great Health podcast, all major podcast platforms. It's health, wellness, and lifestyle. It's about everything that we should and can do to help prevent disease. Or if you want another way to treat disease more holistically, how do you do that? And that's why I started the podcast, because I felt like people knew more about their cars or their cell phones than their own bodies. Right. And how can you make an informed decision about your body if you just don't know how it works? Right. So everybody that, that's, uh, that's commenting, uh, we're going to post links uh, to, to, to doc sites as well. So you can, you can uh, take a look at yourself uh, once we get this uploaded. Doc, I got one more question for you, and it's coming from Tammy here. And she, she's wanting to know if you can discuss adverse reactions beyond the autoimmune disease. She said, nobody's, uh, you know, uh, no one is willing to discuss uh, any additional adverse reactions. So is it possible for doctors to give a true informed consent uh, prior to administering uh, this vaccine? I don't know if I butchered that question too much. Or I was trying to paraphrase it. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And it depends on your philosophies, right? Because a lot of things we use you know, if I, if a new drug comes out, can I really give you informed consent about what it might cause in your body over 30 years? No, because I don't know, right? All I can do is tell you what I know and what the science does. And based upon the science, I don't think for the large majority of people who get the vaccine, there will be long-term 
effects from it. Now, will some people? Absolutely. You know, we're not at the point where I can just run a drop of blood or just look at you and say, oh, based upon your genetics and your body, this is something you shouldn't get, but there's these alternatives. We're not there yet. Sure. That, that makes sense. I, I hope that answered your question. Um, I yeah. want to jump back on his uh, talking about lifestyle changes. Guys, I am an autoimmune survivor. I, I battle it every day. You know, people will, are afraid to talk about it. Uh, there's a stigma sometimes attached to it. It's real. Everyone's different. You know, it put me in one of the darkest places of my life because there are no answers. You search for it. But I can tell you that even though I was super active and healthy before, the autoimmune disease can destroy you mentally. Um, and then you, you, you have to build yourself up, make the changes. You, you know, I, I tried everything and I'm still trying things. Um, Doc's got some awesome information. Please go to his Instagram, go to, you know, all of his links are up there. He's got really good information for you autoimmune people that are like me, a great resources in front of you, please check him out. Uh, Cause I know I'm going to be hitting him up after this. So be prepared. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, for sure. So doc, I, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, you, you've been a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I, I appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, we've got, we've got more, uh, hearts and likes than, than dislikes and mean faces uh, on, on here. So uh, I, our viewers do appreciate you. And uh, I, I hope to, uh, to have you back on the podcast uh, one day, or maybe we can jump yeah. on yours yeah, and uh, entertain your audience. And I, and I want to say our nonsense. Also for, for the people that follow us and I've been talking about it, I, I try not to, but I, I have vasculitis, a form of vasculitis. It's horrible. Uh, if you guys want to learn more about that, if I have vasculitis viewers, uh, check out the vasculitisfoundation.org. It is, it's awesome. They have studies. Uh, they, they take volunteers. Uh, there's not enough information on this disease. Uh, there's no cure. And so any participants, please, you know, go to that website. Um, and you know, we're all in this together. Doc, you have any uh, closing commentary, uh, before we, uh, end this cast? No, I'm always a big advocate of taking the best care of yourself you possibly can and putting yourself in the best situation to win. It's like you said, you were healthy and you got autoimmune disease. Imagine what would have happened if you weren't healthy when that happened. And that's the part that we don't think about is what could have been if we weren't in a condition. The best chance of you making it through something is the shape you were in before you go through it. Yeah, because if, if, if I was not healthy, I can tell you I had uh, quite a few episodes where my like crazy things happened, like my throat started to close, all sorts of stuff. I woke up in some emergency room in <laughs> some other town. Uh, yeah, the stuff's real. And so, yeah, stay healthy. And, you know, common sense, don't smoke, you know, don't do those things. Take care of yourself. Doc, thank you again for coming on to all of our viewers that tuned in. We stand with you. We continue to stand with you. We're going to continue to bring content like this to you. Um, there's more than uh, one side or another. That there, and oftentimes, uh, we're going to find the truth in the middle. So please uh, stick with us. We're going to stand by you. We're not wavering on our fundamental platform here of 
standing up for your rights, your right to choose whether you get vaccinated or not. Uh, we're continuously looking for uh, uh, a litigator to come on our podcast. Uh, we're very close to locking uh, one in to give us uh, some litigious advice, which you know may be uh, may help you guys out. But I'm enjoying this ride. I'm enjoying standing up for you guys. I'm enjoying uh, all the conversation. I'm learning more and more every day. Uh, some of the stuff I didn't know. Some of the stuff is is honestly uh, changing my uh, changing my viewpoint. Yeah, I and mean, all we can do what is learn. Life is about right. We're all here for a finite amount of time, and I want to maximize my time here. Uh, I know Doc wants to maximize his time on this earth. So, ha- having said that. Uh, the only way we're going to do that is by continuously educating ourselves. Stay off mainstream media. Stop yeah. dividing. Let's get together. You know, that's all. There's only one it. race and it's a human race, guys. Um, and let, let's stand together. There's no double, Democrats and Republicans when you're dead. That's right. So have a good one. And we'll, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Dr. Harris, thank you for thank bottom you of my so heart. Much. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Bye.